So let me just make sure. Okay, good. So um, we talked about this a little bit. You're an engineer. So how did you come to know this artist? Uh, I worked at, at Indian Road Affairs, and uh, I I spent a lot of time in the Arctic working on on uh, I used to be a surveyor, and I got interested in the, in uh, Inuit art, and uh, then when I was working at Indian Road Affairs, a lot of the the native artists, indigenous artists, used to come by with their with their paintings, and most of them painted in the woodland style, and it was interesting. But one day I saw a poster of Benjamin's work, and it was the the simple geese, and I thought that was really unique. You know, I thought it was really uh, something I'd I'd like to know more about. So I put the word out to my friends to that I want to meet him. So he came around, and one day he brought me some brought some paintings for to sell, and I think I mentioned in my story that. Uh, uh, I picked one, and and he, uh, I said how much, and he said how much do you have in your pocket, so I took out all my money and I had forty dollars. He said forty dollars, <laughs> so I said, I said okay, so I took it, and then then he gave me a dollar back. He says I don't want you to go home with no money, so he said so I only paid thirty nine dollars for my first painting, and then I have been interested in in the the Indian art in general, but I was quite interested in Benjamin's work, and and I like we formed a. Uh, it's kind of an instant friendship that day because we're both from Northern Ontario. We're both the same age, and uh, we have the same interests in in uh, uh, social life. <laughs> and and he uh, uh, like they became became a, a a friend at that time, and uh, so I started to to buy his work from him, and uh, I I started to promote it to to galleries in Southern Ontario, just to help him out and. Uh, then he actually got involved with the uh, Indian Marketing Service, who really, really promoted his work well across across Canada. So I was, I still was his friend for the next few years, and we used to hang out together. He used to always borrow money from me, and and uh, he'd always pay me back in in artwork. So so he always always remembered what he owed. He never ever tried to shortchange me. So. so um. Tell me a bit about why you wanted to write about him. Like you've, we, you're showing me a lot of files. You've kept a lot of material from his time, your time as friends. Why did you want to tell other people that story? Well, I think when I saw his work back in the '70s when he first started out, I, I realized he was a unique uh, artist. Like like his work would like like no one else was doing work like him, and and uh, like I thought that. I'd like to document his life story, and so I was. I started to collect every clipping that at the, at that time, and uh, then after he died, uh, I, I wanted to do a story about him. And so I went and I actually did interviews with a lot of people that knew him, like the, the his his mother and with uh, the gallery owners and taxi drivers and bartenders and people who sold him his shoes and people who sold him his his suit. And I thought I'm going to do a story about this one day, and I, I, I kind of put all these files in a box in the basement, and they sat there all this time. And then last year, Hugh McKenzie, who was a good friend of, of Benjamin's, his boyhood friend, called me up, uh, and he said they were or, they were organizing a uh, an exhibition of Benjamin's work, it was a legacy of his work, life and life and times of Benjamin Chichi, at the Timiskaming Art Gallery uh, in Haleybury. And uh, so, so Hugh asked if I wanted to help them with it. So I said, sure. So uh, Felicity Buckle, who was the curator of this uh, exhibition, uh, came down, I guess, October of uh, a year, about a year, a year ago, with Hugh, and we sat here and went through all these files and 
talked about things that, that we could put into the exhibition, so they borrowed a lot of things. And uh, they asked me to do a little, a little short piece about him, so I did. At that time, I wrote, I wrote a shorter story. And I just wanted to document, I wanted, I wanted to pay tribute to him, or, or, or in the, in the, of the man, the man that I knew, Benjamin, that I knew. And uh, I guess I sent that off to, to uh, Canada's history. Uh, a year ago, and uh, they said that uh, they're interested in, in publishing it. So then, I wrote a bit, bit more, more about it. And then, as, as we're developing the final story, it grew into what you see now in the magazine. Mm -hmm. And so, when you think back to Benjamin, what are some of the images or the, the the incidents that come to mind for you? What do you think of when you think back to your friendship with Benjamin Chichi? Uh, I think I think of a guy that was that was. Um, Living life uh, on a daily basis, like he was—he was just living for today. He wasn't—he wasn't, he wasn't uh, planning for for uh, for the future. Uh, he told me that, uh, like, when he used to work all week, and then on Friday he'd take his work into the engine marketing service, and they'd give him two or three thousand dollars for it on Friday night. And by Sunday, he'd call me on Sunday and say and say that. He's broke and he hasn't eaten since Friday, so I'd go down and, and meet him and, and uh, you know feed him and and then uh, I, I once said to him, I said, "Why don't you put some money away uh, and then you have money for a rainy day?" And he said, "No, he said money is just paper," and he, he pointed at a napkin on the table. He said, "I can draw a, a picture on that napkin and I can sell it." He said, "That's my money. He said, I don't need I don't need to have money in the bank." So he was a guy that was just living for the present. He he really wasn't. I think he didn't. I think he didn't think he'd have a, a long, a long life, and he was always. He was. He seemed to be. I guess now the term is adrenaline freak. He like he liked excitement, and he would do things at the spur of the moment. And uh, like one day he was. Uh, he wanted. He was. He, he lived in Gatineau, and he wanted to swim home. So he jumped down the river and he got washed downstream two or three miles before he realized that there was a. The current was stronger than he was. Uh, he could have easily have, have died there, but he, uh, but he uh, was just doing that for, for the adventure, I guess. One of the things I didn't put in the story was he, he, missed, the, uh, he, he missed nature, so sometimes he would take uh, a case of beer and he would go down to the Otter River Parkway, with, which was on the river, and there was no, there was no uh, houses around there, and he'd just sit there in, under the stars and drink his beer and, and, and uh, enjoy nature. And so I think he, he missed the... Uh, like the solitude of 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 of, of uh, his his life his life back home, but he also once he got there he missed the city life. So he had to come back here to for the partying and for the for the adventure. So you mentioned the partying and and drinking. Um, why is it important that we know the whole story? That we see the whole man, including those things that maybe aren't so uh, picturesque. I think I think Benjamin, uh, like he went down this path because he was put into reform school when he was twelve years old, and uh, he started drinking when he was eleven. Uh, uh, his his father died when he was one year old, and his mother couldn't really look after him, so so uh, he he started to run with a, with some boys that got into a bit of trouble. One day they stole a car, and started drinking. You know, I said when he was eleven years old, and and. Uh, he ended up at, at Alfred, uh, a reform school near Ottawa, and 
he spent four years there because he had no stable home left to go back to. And by the time he got out of there, I guess you've heard the stories about reform school and about, about the abuse that, ha- that happened to some children. And I know that Benjamin was, didn't want to talk about his time there, and I think he was abused. And when he got out of there, he had a, still had a drinking problem, and uh, he had a chip on his shoulder. And so he would always react to authority, and, uh, and he would always hit the wall. And and uh, so, next for the next few years, he spent a lot of time in and out of um, jails up in northern Ontario, and then he moved to he moved to uh, Montreal in 1965. And the same thing there; like he probably spent several months over a six-year period in and out of the jails there, and it was always drinking-related. So so he was an alcoholic; he, he couldn't help himself. But then when he got into the art. Uh, his art life, he, he really wanted to be an artist, he really wanted to be famous. He said, I want my art to be on everybody's wall, and I want it so that every when they look at it, they, they say that's a Chi-Chi without having to look at the name. He wanted to put out, a, he actually wrote, contacted the post office, he wanted to put out a stamp. He wanted everybody to have a Chi-Chi you know, on, on, their, on a stamp. And he had almost achieved that, like he was able to um, Go to to restaurants and and he bought his clothes at at, at places like like Chuck Delfino's menswear. He bought his shoes at Florsheim shoes. He he'd go to restaurants in Ottawa and he and he would have a tab, and then at the end of the month they they respected him. He really wanted the respect, and and they would uh, he'd pay up his his tab at the end of the month and and then carry on from there. So, but I think this last time again he got he got drunk in the afternoon at one of his favorite restaurants and they put him out and he ended up again back in 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 a, in a jail cell and i think he was so disgusted with himself that he uh couldn't leave the drunk part of him behind the drunk part of him kept overshadowing his artistic future and and i think he just realized that uh, he could he could never break away from the drunk part of him and he he took his own life in in the jail in in uh, 1977. Did you have any concerns at all about talking about that part of his life in the article? Yeah, I when I wrote it, I I sort of didn't want to put the details in there. I I didn't like, like I went to the inquest and the and the uh, they have all the sort of details about how he actually committed the act and that and I kind of didn't want to uh, sensationalize the story. I wanted the story to be more about about the person and his art rather than his his uh, the ending of it so. do you think um does his story tell us something about Canada's history and first nations and indigenous people given the kind of the trajectory his life followed do you see anything in there that kind of could tell us something about our past well I think if, if you look at the uh, at at the news any any time today the the people are still talking about reconciliation and and, the, and they're still talking about uh the the correcting of the the abuse of the past that the the first nations feel that they haven't been addressed properly and like benjamin is a typical case of of somebody that uh was thrown into a into a reform school when he was 12 years old and there's nobody that that would sort of 
look after him. If if he hadn't been a First Nations child, uh, he might have had other other family support that would have gone in there, and 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 uh, he might have only spent a few you know a few months there, and you know, somebody somebody would have would have taken care of him. But because he had no uh, stable family life, I think he was left there for four years, and he came out a very very bitter person, very angry person. So um, you guys were pretty close. What do you remember where you were, or how you reacted when you heard he died? Uh, I, had, I was working for, as I said, for Indian Run Affairs, and I was on a field trip to the Yukon, as a matter of fact, and, and uh, I didn't know that, that he, would, he didn't die. I was, I was in uh, Whitehorse, uh, actually, when he died, and then on, on the, the, he died on Monday. Then on Wednesday, I was up in Dawson, and I actually found a postcard that I'd, I'd uh, written to him, and I addressed to him, and by the time I, before I mailed it, I found out that he had he had died. So so uh, I was in Dawson City, so I couldn't come to the funeral. But my wife did attend the funeral on on my behalf and signed the book. So. You talk about it a little bit in the article, but do you ever think about who Ben would have been or what he would have achieved had he lived? I think he he wanted to try a lot of different things. Like he started out, if you, we went through all these these records they have here, but he started out with doing sort of traditional woodland style art that was that was uh, and then he sort of evolved into the 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 uh, the friends the geese uh, the, the the very simplified line that he that he's very famous for he he also had uh, he did a lot of abstracts and this uh, exhibition that's at the the Temiskaming Art Gallery contains a lot of his abstract work that which people probably don't know they they probably never seen so i think he wanted to Explore. He wanted to do different things. He wanted to sculpt. He, he uh, like one day he he had a he had a hatchet and he had a he, he had a piece of driftwood and he's going to he's going to make a sculpture out of it. But he he never never got around to it. But I think he would have he would have uh, been a sculptor too if if he had set his mind to it. Uh, in the article, you see the, there's a picture of this uh, metal strapping, and that just shows that like uh, we were walking on the street one day and he found this piece of metal strap and he, and he bent it into the shape of one of his birds. And uh, then he threw it away. And I said, I said, why are you throwing that away? He said, it's just junk. I said, no, Ben, it's art. And I still have the piece here. And and I think if he could do that in, in a matter of minutes, uh, can you imagine what he could he could do with as a sculptor later on? So I think he would have done a, a lot of different things if he had lived. Mm-hmm. So. so what do you want people to know about your friend Benjamin Chichi? What What would you like them to know now that maybe they didn't know before they read your article? Well, I think I'd, I'd like them to understand that he wasn't he wasn't just a drunk. He was he was a really kind man. He was really uh, honest and and uh, uh, like when he was when he was sober, he was the nicest person you you, you could ever meet. Like he was just uh, he was gentle and 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 he was very. Uh, um, concerned about other people, and one of the things he wanted to do in life, he wanted to uh, mentor other young native uh, artists and 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 people, and but he never got to, he never got to do that. Uh, his friend Hugh McKenzie is doing that now, like like they grew up together, and Hugh is is uh, an elder up in Tomogamy, 
and he's doing what Benjamin would have done had he lived. Uh, he's uh, in charge of healing circles at the, uh, you know, at the reserve, and, and uh, he does a lot of training of, of young artists in, in uh, art techniques. And uh, I could see Benjamin doing that if he was still alive today. So. Thank you so much. Oh. That's um, that's a a lovely image to think. Of. Just want to make sure.